So I want to invite you to grab your Bibles, if you would, tonight. And we're going to be in our text passage this evening, here in just a few moments. 2 Peter chapter 1. Before we get there, I want to talk a little bit about what's going to be happening this Sunday and uh, how you can be a part of it. Um, First of all, we're starting a brand new teaching series this Sunday. We're calling it Joy in a Box, and it's a study through the book of Philippians. This is known as a prison epistle. The Apostle Paul's writing it from inside the slammer, uh, a place where there's not typically a whole lot of joy, okay? But he is full of the joy of the Lord. He, He knows that God is still with him, and he is ministering out of this situation that isn't very pleasant. And so I believe this is going to be a tremendous blessing to our church and and our community as well if we're willing to invite them to come and be part of this series. So we do have these invite cards in the lobby, and uh, it just kind of promotes the series. You can't lock up real joy. Uh, It lets people know when we're going to be meeting together and going through this series on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and gives just a little bit of description of what the series is about on the back. And so this is what I want you to do. Grab a few of these cards on your way out tonight and then just pray. Pray, God, let me come into contact with somebody this week that really needs to hear about your joy. And then you just watch what kind of maybe conversations you get into. And if you notice someone's complaining about, you know, society or someone's complaining about the government or someone's complaining about work or someone's complaining about you, you know, uh, hand them a card and say, hey, I want to just encourage you come to church with me this Sunday and find out what real joy is all about. And uh, we'll see what God might do in that great way you can be a witness and a testimony this week. So grab some of these cards as you go out and then. Uh, In the evening service on Sunday, we are going to be having our vision night. And so I'm really excited to lay out the game plan for this year in ministry and some of the things that we're going to be doing as a church for outreach and the the different things we're going to be studying through this year. I'm, I'm looking forward to going over my preaching calendar with you and just starting to get you excited about what we're going to be doing together as a church. So mark that on your calendar and plan on being here Sunday night at six o'clock as well. Well, if you've made your way there to 2 Peter chapter number 1, tonight we're looking again at our spiritual vital signs. And we've been looking at the things that we need to supplement our faith with, the new, the new furniture, so to speak, that we're moving into our Christian life. When we get saved, it's out with the old and it's in with the new. And what are these things we need to be adding into our life in order to really be healthy spiritually? So we're looking at 2 Peter chapter number 1. And let's begin reading with verse number one tonight. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, notice, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. 
For if these things be in you and abound, notice they will make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to be healthy. You're going to be vibrant. You're going to produce life. You're going to produce fruit if these things exist in your life spiritually. Now notice as we continue on here. But he that lacketh these things is not healthy. Notice, we're blinded spiritually. We cannot see afar off. And we've forgotten that we've been purchased from our sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give your diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. And then we're going to dig into the next thing that we need to add into our life spiritually tonight. And that's self-control, this thing of temperance. We're going to learn why it's so important and how it helps us to be healthy spiritually. So let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit of God to help us this evening. Lord, we are so thankful for the opportunity that we have tonight again to be in your house. I, I really cherish this midweek opportunity. I know many of us are tired and weary. There's things we've already encountered this week that perhaps have discouraged us or, or brought us to a point of frustration. But God, I'm glad we can come and unburden ourselves tonight, that we can reconnect our minds and our hearts to who you are and the life-giving, life-changing spirit that you indwell us with, that we can be fed from your word, that we can be encouraged by your people. And tonight, as we continue to learn the things that we should put into our life as believers to be spiritually healthy, I pray that we would take honest evaluations of our individual lives, that God, we would listen to your spirit as you speak to us tonight, and that we would endeavor to, to be healthy the way that you call us to be healthy spiritually. So Lord, help us to learn these truths and to allow them to sink deeply into our hearts so that we're not just hearers, but doers of your word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Self-control. This is so important in a believer's life. It, it, is, it is really the antithesis of, of, of walking in the flesh because when we walk in the flesh, we're out of control. We're subject to our flesh. We're in bondage to sin, but when we're filled with the Spirit of God, when we have His presence and His Word in our life, now things have changed, and that old furniture gets moved out, and now we're moving new furniture in, and we've learned about virtue and excellent spirit. We have the Spirit of God in us, and He calls us to do things excellently, to reflect Him. How many of you understand tonight, we were made in the image of God? And when we come to know Christ as our Savior, we are remade spiritually. We are brought back to life. And we are to reflect the goodness and grace of our God in our lives. We're to have an excellent spirit that's virtuous living. And then we're to add to our virtue knowledge. And we need to know who our God is. Hey, he's given us the information concerning who he is. He, he communicates with us because he loves us who he is. And so we should take the time to learn of him, to know who he is, what he's done for us, and how that affects our lives. And now tonight, we're going to add this next thing in, this thing of temperance, self-control. What does it mean? And is it really that important? Well, the Bible speaks to the fact that it is. Notice with me Proverbs chapter number 25 and verse 28, the verses on the screen Notice what the writer here, Solomon, has to say. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. 
I'd say having a spirit of self-control is very important. You know, a person that doesn't have self-control, there are no barriers up in their life. There's no protection in their life. There's, there's really no insulation in their life. And they're like a city that has broken down walls. Uh, it, just, it just is exposed constantly because there's no self-control. Now, the same writer, Solomon, though he wrote these very wise words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, his life didn't always reflect this. In fact, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in, in uh, 1 Kings, I'm sorry, I, I have the wrong passage in my, in my notes here this evening. Bear with me just one second. Titus, chapter 2, verse number 11. We'll go to these next verses on the screen. Notice how the Bible continues to build out the need for self-control. For grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So again, the call to have self-control, this word sober, means that we are to live and behave and think in a way that exhibits the control of the Spirit in our lives. When God has brought salvation to our life, along with salvation comes the wisdom of the Spirit of God, the ability to act soberly. And this is with self-control. This is our calling in this present world. Notice as we continue to read on in these next verses, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. That word peculiar means precious and rare. A peculiar people zealous of good works. So this is the makeup that we have now as a believer with the Spirit of God in us. We should be a person who's under the control of the Spirit. We should be able to have self-control as we walk in the Spirit and do not yield to the lust of the flesh. The Bible speaks about, in many occurrences, that this is really foundational in our Christian lives. And and we would see, if we looked in the world, that many people do not exercise very much self-control. We are people who give ourselves over to excess. We are people who give ourselves over to all kinds of of impertinent activity, and it's very important that we as believers operate in the control of the Spirit of God. Now, when we speak about self-control, there are many areas that this might apply to our life as as believers, but I want to break down three main areas tonight that I think will be a help to you and to me. And so the first area I want to look at applying self-control in our life is the area of our body, self-control regarding our body. How many of you understand that our body is an important tool that God has given to us? I'll tell you when we really notice it, when it's not working right, right? It's important. God really many times in Scripture speaks about the importance of our body and the importance of it being sanctified and the importance of it being ready for the Master's use and the importance of what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God and how our members of our body are now to be used by the Spirit to glorify God. So our bodies and what we do with them are very important. A lot of people have a haphazard opinion about their body. Oh, well, this body's going to die. It's going to fall away. It's going to turn to dust. It's not all that important. No, it is important. It's important that we stewardship it right. It's important that we display it right. It's important that we honor God with our bodies. And so this is an area where we need to exhibit self-control. And it's an area that the Bible speaks about concerning this issue of self-control. Now, speaking about 
um, Solomon. We'll get into that here in a little bit. But in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, we'll start reading with verse number 25. Let's look at the importance of our body as it pertains to self-control. Notice, the Bible says, "...in every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things." That word temperate is an idea of self-control. You're able to regulate what is happening in your life, in your body, in your mind, and in your heart. So you're doing this in a temperate manner. Notice, every man that striveth for mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep my body... And bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul knew the importance of bringing his very body under the subjection of the Spirit of God. He knew the importance about the temperance of how he treated his body and what he did with his body. And this is as practical as getting enough sleep, eating the right foods, uh, taking the right care of yourself, getting enough rest... It's as practical as that, and it's also, it's also important that we don't avail our bodies to the will of the flesh. That's what Paul's main concern for his spiritual life was. I want to bring my body under subjection so that I'm not, at one day in my ministry, considered a castaway because I've blown my testimony and I've blown my ministry by allowing my body to get out of control. And how many of you understand most of the veins of temptation that happen to us in this world happen concerning our body, happen concerning what enters our eye gate, what enters our ear gate, what we expose the sensations of our flesh to. Uh, the, we, we, we have a word for that, sensualism. And through sensualism, a lot of times we avail our bodies and behaviors to the things of this world. And Paul said, we've got to be careful about that. We need to operate in temperance. We need to bring our bodies under subjection. And I know a lot of people say, I, I can't do it. I've got this habit. I've got this, I've got this desire. I've, I've got this situation in my body that I just crave this or I need this or I have to have this or I just find myself doing this. And I understand our bodies are powerful things. How many of you know your body's a powerful thing? It sends some powerful messages sometimes. But don't you believe tonight that the grace of God is even stronger than our bodies? The power of the risen man is able to overcome that which is in our flesh. We see that, that encouragement time and time and time again in Scripture. And so we need to bring our bodies under subjection. Notice in Ephesians 5, verse number 18, there's an example of this. One we see in our culture today. The Apostle Paul writes and says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And we get this very interesting contrast concerning the temperance of our bodies where we understand when somebody's drunk, they're not in control of their body. They're slurring and they're staggering and many times they'll make a fool of themselves and certainly they ought not be driving because they're just not in control. They're out of control and that's the opposite of temperance. That's the opposite of moderation. And so the Bible says you need to be careful which you allow to influence your body. And I know wine is referenced here, but certainly drugs and, and, and other things that we would bring into our bodies, that, that we would give control of our faculties and control of our sensations over to, those things ought not have that kind of control in our life. 
That opens the door for so much destruction and disaster to take place. And let me just say this about alcohol. And I don't know what your view is on alcohol. I'm pro-abstinence concerning alcohol. I've seen nothing in my ministry but grievous, desperate situations arrive out of the use of alcohol in our world today. My strong recommendation and commendation concerning alcohol is that it's not wise and that the main purpose for it in our culture today is for primarily intoxication and being involved in worldly situations that cause much pain and much damage and much despair. But I will have you know in the context of this passage, anything that you give your body over to where something has ultimate control other than the Spirit of God is a sin. It is not exercising temperance and we should avoid it as believers. We should avoid it as believers. And so we need to really uh, take this admonition from the Apostle Paul to to make sure that, that we are being temperate in our lives. That we are exercising the self-control that the Spirit of God gives us. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll begin reading with verse number 18. An other area of our life where we need self-control. Notice, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? which you have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Our world, and let me just say this, I won't spend a lot of time on it. Now I've talked about it frequently, but this world is headlong, out of control in sexualization and lust. It permeates our culture. It destroys relationships. It is a snare and a trap Not just for men, but for women as well. And we've got to be very careful concerning this issue of the prolific fornication and sexualization that goes on in our culture today. Let me just say, almost everything that goes on seems to be about sex today. From advertising to programming to entertainment to the thoughts of our lives. And and, and listen... It was, it was prevalent in the day that, that Paul writes these words as well. It's always been something that the devil has used to, to permeate culture with and to rob mankind from the joy of, of the callings of purity that God has given to us. And it's grievesome in our culture today. It's, it's palpable. It's, it's thick in our culture today. And we need to be careful of it. Many of the lists... That the Apostle Paul gives concerning warning of sins of the flesh in the New Testament begin with things like fornication and and things like adultery and and things like evil concupiscence. And and these are all terms that, that talk about sexual gratification that takes place outside the bonds of marriage. And I know people aren't used to hearing about this and we've kind of accepted it in our culture, but I want to say very firmly from the pulpit and from the word of God today that any kind of sexual relationship outside the bounds of marriage is sin and it's against God's plan and we need to endeavor as believers to live pure lives before God and to teach and to train our children to live pure before God and we need to have Purity in our bodies for the Lord today. Now I know that sin exists. And that people have sinned in this area concerning sexual immorality. 
And how many of you are glad that we have a Savior that's died for that sin? How many of you are glad that we have a Savior who's rose victorious over that sin? And if we have found ourselves in a position we were, where we are in that sin, where we're availing our mind and our heart and our actions to areas of sexual misconduct, let me tell you, we need to get that right before God. We need to repent of that sin. We need to turn away from that sin. And we need to go on to live a pure life for our Lord and Savior. And let me encourage you in that, parents. Let me encourage you in that, adults. This is an area where I find many people uh, get swept out from their confidence in their walk with the Lord. And it's a burdensome thing in many people's lives. And and many times it keeps them shut away from, from doing all that they could do for the glory of God. And they bear this weight and this burden and sometimes this guilt because... A lot of times there's secrecy in these types of of sins and and they're allowed to go unchecked and light's not shown on them and they hide in the dark corners and crevices of people's minds, hearts, and lives. And so it's just there and it's accessible. And how many understand with the internet and with social media and with, with program TV, you can pretty much satiate any desire that you have for sexual immorality and the flesh is constantly battling against people concerning this. But let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. I believe God can give victory and purity to us today. I believe that. And we need to have hearts that that desire that we would follow God in this area of temperance in our body. It, it, It causes grave damage. It causes severe difficulty. And, and I plead with you, don't, don't allow your life to go unchecked in this area. Make sure that you are living purely for the Lord. We find that this greatly affects us. And Paul says that we need to glorify God in our body. How many of you understand tonight and are glad that if you're saved, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit that lives in you? What a powerful relationship that is with our God. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit of God did not live inside individuals. The Holy Spirit of God lived in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle, or in the temple. That's where he dwelt. And it was a big deal to go to the temple. It was a big deal to go through the ceremonies, to even be able to present yourself before the presence of God. It was a big deal to be called to be one of those priests that could go into the holy place with the right garb on and the right washing that had taken place and it was a big deal but now all of that washing has taken place through the Lord Jesus Christ and if you've passed through the blood of the lamb you're now acceptable in the presence of God and not only are you acceptable in the presence of God but his very spirit has taken up residence in your body and in my body we are now the temple of the Holy Ghost that lives in us think about that for just a moment and as the temple of the Holy Ghost that is in us there's a high calling on our bodies. Let me just say, there are many times we treat our bodies so flippantly. I'm going to mark it up with this, and I'm going to dress it with this, and I'm going to poke it with this, and I'm going to... And we need to be careful about our expressions and what we're really trying to get across. And I'm not trying to judge anybody's motives. Everybody has different reasons for why they do different things. And I'm not a, I'm not a big judging people's motives guy. I'm never going to come and judge your motives and try to make a condemnation on any person based upon just a surface sight of what I see, but I am as a pastor called to give warning concerning where our activities originate from, and we all do have motives, 
And if our motives for the way we decorate our body and clothe our body and use our body and carry our body and express our body, if our motives deep down inside are to be worldly and are to get across a language of sexuality that isn't right or, or isn't appropriate for the Spirit of God dwelling in us, then we need to personally check that with God. We need to personally allow the Holy Spirit to convict us of that. Why are you getting that tattoo? Why are you wearing that clothing? Why are you wearing... And we live in such a culture today where even the expression of consideration of that makes people and Christians recoil. Like, don't tell me how to live. Don't tell me what to do. I'm not telling you how to live. I'm not telling you what to do. I have a hard enough time keeping this guy in check. All right? But I am a preacher of the word of God and I want to give you the tools to recognize what's going on in your life. I want to give you the tools to recognize what's going on in your heart. I want to to challenge your motives as the Holy Spirit and the Word of God challenge my motives about why we might be participating in certain things with our body. It's important. We're called to add to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance. And this is self-control of our body. What pleases God? What pleases His Spirit? Not what identifies me with this or that or this group or this other thing. Hey, you're not about this world anymore. You are a child of God. What a blessing that is. And so we need to take care to live temperately in our body. It is the temple of the Spirit of God that is in us. Notice another area of our life where we need to be temperate concerning our body. Again, this isn't an exhaustive list tonight, but some key things that might help us Uh, understand where we can apply temperance as a believer. James chapter 1, and notice with me verse number 26. The words on the screen. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. And what a problem this is for us as humans. In fact, there's a whole lengthy passage in the book of James where James deals about the poison and the fire and the difficulty of the tongue. The t- How many of you have lived long enough to experience this? Our tongues get us in a lot of trouble. They get us in a lot of trouble. And, and there are a lot of people who seem religious, but their mouth is full of poison and gossip and backbiting and complaining and cursing and hatred and variance and malice and and just the things that come from our mouth many times and you know that's not that's not inconsequential the bible says out of the abundance of the heart the mouth what speaketh and and many times our words reveal what's really inside we can seem religious but our words will betray us and all the damage over time that gossip has caused and and false uh, accounts have caused and and just hurtful words and and conversely how many of you know the tongue can be a wonderful instrument of encouragement the tongue can be a wonderful instrument of giving the li- the living word of god to people but we've got to we've got to have control of it we've got to exercise self control that's what he means by bridle our tongue and and the best bridle we can have for our tongue is the holy spirit of god how many of you have gotten to say something before and the Spirit said, nope, don't do it? <laughs> Not worth it, man. Don't do it. And do you know what I've realized over my life and, and to my own shame 
and, and a lot of times to my own hurt and hurt that I can never take back for other people is you can't take back your words. Boy, how, is anybody else like me? And I'm not, I'm not asking for confession tonight, but have you ever said something you wish you could have taken back and you, you can't take it back? Or maybe it wasn't even what you said, but it was the way you said it. Right? I, a lot of people are like this. I'm just a truth teller. Good for you. How many of you like that verse that helps us bridle that a little bit, though, but says, hey, give the truth in love. So there, there's a bridle there. And uh, I'll tell you what. There are a lot of things that can destroy a church. There's a lot of things that can destroy a ministry. There's a lot of things that can destroy a family. There are a lot of things that can destroy individuals. But I found in my life that nothing has the wake of casualties behind it like the tongue does. It is the most prolific weapon that I believe the devil uses to get victory in families and in churches and in lives. And so it needs to be bridled. We need to have the Holy Spirit around that thing. We need to watch what we say and how we say it. We need to be very slow to speak harsh words. And we need to be very quick to, to use our tongue to give the life-giving, life-changing message of Jesus. So this is an area where we need to have temperance in our body. Uh, notice this in Philippians chapter 3. We'll begin reading with verse number 18, another area. Again, we won't go through an exhaustive list. Just a few things to help us wrap our mind around the application of temperance in our life as a believer. Paul warns about people who maybe were walking with God and then fall away and what their lives might be like. And this is the context of these verses here. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And notice this, whose end is destruction, whose God is their what? Whose God is their what? Belly. Belly, right? And whose glory is in their shame who mind earthly things. I'm sure there's some application here to, to understanding the, the admonition against gluttony. I think, I think if we live a life of gluttony, it just shows that we have maybe an unhealthy appetite for the world. But I believe that when the Apostle Paul is referencing that their God is their belly, is that a lot of what they're filtering through their life doesn't go through the Holy Spirit. It goes through their insatiable appetite of the flesh. Everything that's worldly, everything that feels good, everything that satisfies the flesh for a season is kind of what they filter the priority of their life through. Their God becomes their belly. Other scholars have said that this is perhaps speaking about Judaizers who really put an extra weight upon the Jews concerning the law and said you had to take part in particular feasts or eat certain foods or abstain from other foods in order to be righteous with God. And so they really worship through their belly and not through their spirit. So there are several applications that I've read could be made to this particular passage of Scripture. But I think the main overall point is we need to have temperance and not allow our bodies to fashion any measure of the, of the source of our worship. Our worship shouldn't be filtered through what we feel in our flesh. It should be through the truth of the word of God and through the presence of his spirit in us. 
Don't let your belly be your God. Whether it be food or whether it be just the appetites of the flesh or whether it be you trying to live outside of the word of God to appease God. Don't live making your belly God. Be temperate in your body. So as we add to our faith temperance, we see what this is like regarding our body. Secondly tonight, let's look at what it's like regarding our heart. Temperance in our heart. Now we're going to talk about the heart and the mind here a little bit tonight. And sometimes they're used interchangeably in scripture. So I want to delineate this for you so you know what I'm talking about when I talk about the heart. When I'm referencing the heart tonight, I'm talking about the seed of our affections. What we love, what we fall in love with, and how that shapes us as a person. So we need to be, we need to be temperate regarding our heart. We need to be temperate and self-controlled concerning what we let ourselves fall in love with. Notice... Here in Proverbs chapter number 4, verse number 23, this is, again, Solomon writing. He says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And this idea of keep your heart is to be temperate concerning your heart. Have some self-control. Don't just give your heart over to everything that presents itself to you. Be careful what you fall in love with. Keep your heart with all diligence because out of your heart flows your speech. Out of your heart flows your behavior. Out of what you fall in love with, it affects you. That's why the Bible talks so openly about our relationships and the effect and influence they have on our lives and how we should seek out the right types of relationships and the right types of influences so that our hearts aren't drawn away. So here, very wisely... Solomon writes these words, but then the example that we see in 1 Kings shows that Solomon didn't follow his own words. Notice with me, 1 Kings 11, verse number 1, words are on the screen. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonites, and Pittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel... Ye shall not go down to them, neither shall they come in unto you. And notice, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. What a sad commentary on the wisest man that ever lived. The one that you'll remember God came to him and said, whatever you want, Solomon, I'll give it to you. And Solomon said, give me wisdom to know how to live and to rule your people well. And God said, boy, I love your heart, Solomon, because you asked for wisdom and you did not ask for fame or for riches. I'm going to give you wisdom and I'm going to give you fame. I'm going to give you riches. But Solomon was a man like you and I are humans and he allowed his heart to be turned he did not guard or keep his heart. He did not have temperance concerning what he loved or what he fell in love with. And it was devastating in his life. If you read on in the same passage of scripture, you'll find where God pronounces judgment on Solomon and says, I'm going to rip your kingdom away from you, but it won't be you who pays the price for it. It'll be your children who pay the price for it. And isn't that true of our lives? You know what, mom and dad? A lot of times it's not us who are the ones that pay the price for it. It's our children who are the ones that pay the price for it. It's our children who, who deal with the effects of us loving the wrong things. Of us allowing the wrong affections to form in our lives. So we see this example of Solomon. We need to guard our heart, keep our heart, be temperate concerning what we love. Have self-control in how we love and in what we love. 
Notice Colossians 3. We'll begin reading with verse number 1. Notice where our affections need to be. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Our affections aren't to be in this world. We should not be falling in love with the things of the world. I quote this verse often in 1 John. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We've got to be careful about what we fall in love with. Guard our hearts. Be temperate concerning what it is that we love and where we give our affection to. So we find that we need to be temperate in this area of the heart. Lastly, and we'll be done tonight, we see that we need to have temperance regarding our mind. Temperance regarding our mind. Now, when I spoke about the heart, I spoke about the seed of our affections, what we fall in love with. When we speak about the mind tonight, we're going to speak about our intellect. We're going to speak about what we dwell on, what we think on, and how that forms us and shapes us. We need to be temperate about that. The Bible talks in many places, we won't uncover them all tonight, about what we need to dwell on, what we need to think on, and how we need to handle our mind and thought life. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 3, the verses are on the screen. Notice what the Apostle Paul writes. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. And, And let me just say this. Yes, our bodies are a gateway for a lot of opportunity for sin, but what we do with our bodies is often the battle is fought in our hearts and our minds before those actions ever come out. A lot of the spiritual warfare that takes place in our lives happens many times in this area of the mind. And notice, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And notice, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Every thought to the obedience of Christ. And how many of you have had times where you've just vegged and let your mind wander, right? It's amazing the things that enter your mind when you're not even trying to direct where your thoughts are coming from. You know, the different things that maybe are on your list to do the next day, the different conversations you've had that day, and then all of a sudden other things pop in, certain fears, certain difficulties, certain imaginations that you don't even know if they're real or not real, and all of a sudden you you sense that your body's responding to this, you're sensing that your mood is responding to this, you're sensing that your heart is responding to this, and it's just, it's amazing how powerful that arena of our mind is. And so Paul says that we need to be temperate concerning our mind. We need to bring our thoughts into obedience to Christ. You realize that God knows the very thoughts and intents of our heart tonight. He knows what we're thinking. How many of you have ever thought, boy, I'd like to be, be able to read people's minds and then very quickly changed your mind about that? <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad we can't read each other's minds But God does know our minds and he does know our heart. And I believe because he does know our mind and does know our heart, he's also very well able to to bring those thoughts and to bring the things that go through our mind into subjection to his will if we will dwell on the right things that he calls us to in scripture. We see that 
We need to be concerned about the self-control of our mind. Notice with me Philippians 2 and verse number 5. I love this verse. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, we don't have time to read the whole passage there in Philippians 2, but it's in direct reference to the humility of mind that Jesus Christ had. There's another term in Scripture known as high-minded, and that's sinful thinking. It's a proud mind. It's a haughty mind. How many of you understand we've got a lot of big heads in our world today? Most of the talking heads on your TV screen, when you turn on the news or you turn on, you know, some talk show, a lot of those people are very high-minded. They've got the degrees and they've got the experience and they've got the worldly wisdom and they're going to tell you why their plan is accurate and how you need to follow their plan and how they're going to mandate their plan on you because they know everything. And how many of you, the longer you live, the more you realize what you don't know? I'm telling you what, I know maturity is supposed to be healthy for you, like, like it's supposed to be a positive thing. But I'll tell you what, maturity is a humbling thing is what I'm finding out. The more you live, the more you realize what you don't know, the more you look back over your life and wish you did things a whole lot differently than the way you did them. It's just a big learning process when you mature and when you grow and as you develop. And, and we should have a humble mind. We should have a ready mind to be teachable and willing to listen to the Spirit and willing to listen to the Word. And if we're always combative, every time the Word of God is open, just because it's convicting or because God's trying to get us to grow and we're like, nah, I've been there, I know that. Oh, this is where he's coming from. Oh, I don't, I'm just going to, pitchfork that over to the person that's sitting behind me. They need it more than I do. Hey, don't be high-minded. Don't think more of yourself than you ought. The Bible tells us when we think more of ourselves than we ought, we're already pre-primed for a great fall. We need to have a lowliness of spirit. We need to have a humility of mind. And that's not to be self-deprecating. We don't need to walk around the whole time thinking, I'm just horrible and I can't do anything right and nobody should ever do anything for me. That's not what humility of mind is. That's many times just as self-promoting as being high-minded and a know-it-all. There are ditches on either side of the road we should be on. We should have a balanced mind, understanding that we can learn some things and we can grow, but we always need to be teachable. We always need to be ready for God to show us something more. We always need to be ready to, to say, I, I, I'm wrong. And God's right. And that's a marker of someone who can really grow and produce fruit. So we need to let this mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. And that takes self-control of our mind. Adding to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge self-control temperance. Notice with me, if you would, 2 Timothy 1 and verse number 7. The verse is on the screen. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love... And of a what? And of a sound mind. And of a sound mind. Now this is accessible in his spirit. It can be difficult to arrive at in this world. It can be difficult to arrive at because of persecution and strain or health or any multiple of reasons why our minds can be affected in different ways. But I'm glad that the spirit of God is at least for our mind being healthy. How many of you are glad we've got a great resource in the spirit of God? That doesn't mean that we don't need other provisions that God gives us here on earth to help with those types of things. But I'm glad we can ultimately turn to the Spirit of God and how many of you are God's desires to help us in our mind, to help us to have a sound mind. We should not have the spirit of fear. We know that doesn't come from God. We should not have the spirit of confusion. We know that does not come from God. We should endeavor to have a sound mind and to be healthy physically and then also healthy spiritually. And the Holy Spirit will help us out with that. 
So we need to have self-control concerning our mind. Hey, listen, Christian, let me just help you with this. And I, I don't care what's causing it or what the difficulty is. Suicide rates right now are going through the roof, especially amongst young people. Um, it's tragic what's going on in our world today concerning the hopelessness and despair and issues in the mind. Can I just tell you, as your pastor in this church, if you are ever struggling in your mind, don't sit in your home by yourself mulling over the distress that you're feeling in your mind. I want you to know you can call me anytime you need to call me and I will pray with you. I will come over to your house. I will help you. I will be there for you. My wife will as well. Anybody on our staff, anybody in our family, we would be glad to be there for you. How many understand nobody should have to go through that difficulty on their own when they have the family of God right here? And we need to access that. And that's part of the help that God gives us in his spirit. He wants us to have a sound mind. Philippians 4, we'll start reading with verse number 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, notice, shall keep your hearts and minds. I told you they're closely linked together, our affections and the seed of our intellect. They're very closely related in Scripture. He'll keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, What a blessing that is. And it gives us some of the practical application about how we can have a sound mind. Go to the Lord. Give him supplication about what your needs are. Commune with him. Give praise to him. I'll tell you, there are times I get low. There are times I get depressed. There are times I get discouraged. And one of the biggest helps to me is listening to godly music. How many of you found that to be a help? We, we know that that power is there even from the Old Testament account of Saul and David. You remember when there was an evil spirit on Saul? He sent for David to come and play his heart for him. How many believe music has a big impact on our lives? And there's many times I'll, I'll, I'll be singing a song or I'll turn on the radio or I'll put in a CD that I have and I'll listen to some music that is there to edify me and to lift me up and to help me out in that area. And I'd encourage you, uh, speak to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Spend time really cultivating that in your mind. Dwell on the right things. Here, we don't have this listed tonight in our verse of scripture. The next verse, verse number eight of Philippians 4 says, uh, you know, think on things that are lovely, of good report, things that are virtuous. If there's praise, think on these things. And so, we need to make sure that those are the things that are going through our mind. How many of you know there's all kinds of trash in this world that goes through our mind? Can I, can I help you out with something? Can I just help you out with something tonight? I know you're not going to listen to me, but I'm just going to help you out with something. Turn off the TV! <laughs> I mean, how much work do we have to do to unpack all the garbage that gets packed into us from that thing? Now, I'm not against... Well, I kind of am. I, I don't know. I've got TVs in my house, and we watch them occasionally, and there's things that we, you know, but how many of you know even the news right now is so depressing? And, and there's so many lies and disturbing things. And I just, I, I, I think we should all be a little convicted about what we're letting our minds sort through and maybe the effect it's having on us spiritually. Let, let's just all take time to consider that. You know, I'm not, not a hard-nosed person. You do what you, you, you do you, all right? But know this, there, there are consequences for what we let into our mind. There's consequences for what we let into our mind. And, and I, th I think we all arrive at points in our life where we think, I can handle that, I can handle that, that's just the way the world is, and I can handle that. And then you walk away from having binge-watched 80 hours of this stuff, 
and, and you wonder why you're depressed and you're seeing the world through this lens and why you're swearing when you're in traffic and why you're... And here you've just permeated your mind and your heart and your, your, all your filters with all this crud. And it's going to take you 10, 10 verses of bless the Lord, all my soul, to cleanse even part of that out, you know. And uh, we just, I think we need to be careful with what we're dwelling on. And, and these verses help us to, to know the right things that we need to do in, in having self-control in our mind. Lastly, we'll be done after this verse. I think it's a very important verse, a very good verse for us to file away. Isaiah 26, 3. I love this. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Isn't that good? How many of you sometimes need your mind kept? <laughs> need it solidified? Hey, dwell on him tonight.